Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey there, you have found another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. This is episode number 652, and today is one of those episodes that I do in partnership with the Austin Technology Council. So today's episode is co-produced with ATC, the largest tech industry organization in Central Texas. The Austin Technology Council empowers their members through insights, resources, and connections so that their members can thrive and succeed. And today, we are going to talk with Patrick Emmons. Now, Patrick is the CEO and founder of Dragon Spears, a a consulting firm for software excellence. And what he does, he doesn't try to sell everybody everything. He tries to make sure that he's working with the right people and forming great partnerships. And today we're going to talk about success. But before we do, I have to thank one of the sponsors of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership teams. And a little bit of full disclosure, I now work for Stanton Chase International. Now, back to the show. Hey, Patrick Emmons, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me on today. Hey, I'm really glad to have you here. So can you do me a favor and and give us a little bit more information about what is Dragon Spears and, and why did you found the company? Yeah, so I started Dragon Spears in 2015, uh, really focused on empowering our clients uh, as they're on their journey for becoming a a software digital product company. So really, um, they're trying to become a SaaS level organization, right? I I think we all realized in the last year, being on a digital platform, right, is way more important than than we all thought it was going to be in 2019. Uh, And so historically, I had worked at I'd started a couple of companies that we had done outsourced app dev, but I really thought it was way more valuable for us to partner with our clients, help them upskill, build their own innovation engines. Uh, and that's really the journey that they were on and that they needed help with. But it was critical that for us to understand their strategic initiatives, where they want to be in 18 months, 24 months. And if that's a place that we can help them, then that's really where we jump in. So were you always an entrepreneur entrepreneur, or what was your, your background before you founded Dragon Spears? Yeah, I, I, you know, uh, being an entrepreneur is a, uh, it's hard to say that it was rewarded. You know, when we were younger, uh, the entrepreneurs were generally the ones that got in a lot of trouble and maybe not so great at school uh, and struggled with this structure they're in. Uh, so I would say, I, I think I, I started a fraternity in college. Um, I started businesses in high school, always trying to figure out how we can, uh, look at things a little bit differently. So I got a degree in computer science and mathematics, did the usual jobs here in Chicago where I'm based right now, like Motorola, Ameritech, some of the other larger tech firms. And then at age 25, started, a, a started my first venture with, with five friends. So it's interesting. You talked about the fact that being an entrepreneur actually led you to, to help found your fraternity. I, I always say that my experience in a college fraternity was my first startup. Well, I was not one of the founders. Uh, I was one of the early members. I was number 66 on the rolls of, of my chapter. And we didn't have, 
you know, we had just gotten a house. We didn't have, you know, any sure. stature on campus. And five <laughs> years later, we were arguably one of the top three or four fraternities on the campus as far as reputation and grades and sports and, and everything else. So I, I, you know, some people don't like that experience. And I always say, hey, my time in the beta house, that was my first entree into what entrepreneurship was about because we had an uphill battle. Well, and I, and I think that's the, the key is when you think about entrepreneurship, it's, it's not so much it comes in one shape or size. It's just, you know, the reason why you joined that fraternity is number 66, right? That differentiates. There was safer options on campus. And what attracted you was this opportunity to have an impact, to make a difference, to, to try something out and, and to like have, again, the impact is, I don't want to minimize that because I think the impact of like having influence, having a say, uh, being part of building a culture. And I've seen that time and again through different sports, right? When you see some of these more established schools with the college teams, uh, sometimes it's hard to stay on top because you're not getting some of those guys who want to be number 66, right? You're getting people who are like, well, you know, this school's established and it's going to help me and it's very safe. And I think what's true about entrepreneurs is that it's, they have a profound lack of understanding of their own limitations, right? <laughs> so they put themselves into pickles and they find their way out one way or the other. So over the years, you've seen a lot of changes in the world of, of, of what software companies are, right? And so what are some of the big changes that you've witnessed in your years in technology? Well, I think uh, the primacy of teams, right, where tools and talent or, you know, tools, individual technology, uh, those are things that people have always historically thought were, you know, the valuable things. What I do think is very interesting is that that primacy of, of team uh, cohesion and dynamics is what's really going to make the difference for successful and unsuccessful engineering teams. And, and to be clear, on the engineering side involving or even product engineering, a lot of those decisions aren't, you know, whether they're going to be successful or not from a market fit standpoint, aren't really in their purview. But there are a lot of things that they can control. Uh, and a lot of it really comes down to like those team dynamics and how do people communicate, how do they interact. Uh, and I think, you know, it used to be, you know, people sitting in silos, sitting at right, that post-industrial revolutionary mentality of you put a screw here, right, as opposed to we've got to be more flexible, we've got to be responsive. It's not about hyper-efficiency, it's about anti-fragility, right? So how are we creating teams that actually can respond to stressors uh, to circumstances that we just couldn't have anticipated. I don't know, like a pandemic, right? Just, it might happen just uh, as a lark, you know, not saying it will, just saying it might. So it's interesting that you bring up teams. One of the things that I have taught as a speaker and a trainer for years is sort of human connection and how it matters. And this isn't just like networking for the salespeople or networking for people who have to get a job, but, but how do we connect inside the company? And recently I got certified from a company called the Trust Edge Institute as a facilitator and coach to talk about that layer of trust that goes into mm -hmm. having success with everybody, certainly within teams. For years, I sort of taught the, the theme that, hey, people are going to do business and give opportunities to people they know, they like, and they trust. And, and I focused mm -hmm. on the know and like side. And now I've layered in all of this training and coaching around trust. So you've managed teams, you've worked on teams, you know, you brought up the fact that, that how the teams work cohesively is important. How important is it and how do companies facilitate that trust? Why, why does that matter? Oh, trust is everything, right? You don't have a team if you don't have trust, right? Like there's, there's, I mean, if you look at Patrick Lencioni's uh, pyramid of trust, it's, it's it, you know, 
nothing fits into a, a something you can put in a book. Obviously, it's it's a lot more uh, I don't know, amorphous. Not sure if that's a right word, but I do that. I'll make up words. Most hey, people don't call it on me. Hey, I live in Texas. George Bush was my governor for a long time before <laughs> he was president. He just made yeah. up words all the time. It's totally fine by me. Yeah. All right, so it, 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 and I think that's really what it comes down to is like, how do you build trust and the uncomfortableness of building trust, right? Where it's like, uh, there's certain things at that base level that if leadership isn't creating a culture of trust where they're being honest, being transparent, and having worked at a lot of large organizations that, you know, didn't really, uh, make it uh, before I started my, my company. Um, I would say one of the big challenges that you have is that, uh, you know, when you don't create a culture of making mistakes is okay. I mean, that's, that's a killer from my perspective of like, uh, if the CEO can't admit when they're wrong or they're going to shine it on or they're going to polish it up or whatever they're going to do, everybody gets the message right? Failures are not allowed. And and the real challenge is that you put three human beings in a room and you're going to have politics. It's And people are like, oh, we got to get the politics out. It's like, that's, you got to use the politics to your advantage, right? Like you got to make sure that people are being political for the right reasons, that they're espousing the right reasons, right? So it's, and I think that's a real challenge is like, how do you as a leader uh, establish that, that, that those types of, you know, core values? And I, I know that's an easy phrase, it's an easy word to say, and I think we've all read the Enron core values uh, back in the day of like be honest, do what's right for our customers. Like, <laughs> so I do think, like, but I think this is the transfor- transformational leadership that is critical as we move forward into the next evolution of businesses. You've got to be honest with your people. You've got, and then you've got to demand that at every level that people are being transparent and honest with each other, and that that's really what you're trying to. Um, one of my strategic goals with my business is to have leaders at every level, right? Companies do not invest in people and their leadership development. They'll give them technical skills, but they won't give them leadership skills. And I think that's the real gap is that if more organizations really create a, you know, there was great organizations, you know, GU is known for it, right? Their leadership capabilities and development skills. And I think that's something that a lot of organizations, if they, reimagined their efforts in creating trust. It's about creating leaders. And the thing is, it's so transformational to actually be responsible for somebody not named you, (laughs) right? Where like, and you see it specifically in in the technology side where we have a real problem where software developers don't want to be managers, but they don't want a manager who wasn't a software developer. And that's another terrible catch 22 that we're stuck in. But so much of it is because people have this vision that leadership is, punishment, pain, right? Like it's all about having uncomfortable conversations and, and in the vacuum of actually having positive reinforcing conversations, you're right. That is, that's what's left. But I I think the organizations that really invest in building leaders at every level will dominate in the next 10 years. That's, and that's what I'm banking on. That's what I'm doing with my organization. Well, this ties directly into what we talked about before we started doing the interview. And that was how important it is to you around influence building, what do you mean by influence building? Yeah, I think, uh, again, it, uh, influence, right? Smells of car salesmen, right? <laughs> you get a little bit of that dirty feeling like, oh, you're tricking me. And it's like, uh, you know, the problem is that most people that we know who are good at influence use it for less than honorable objectives, right? And then the, the mistake is that the honorable people think that like having the right answer will be enough, 
right? Like I, X equals four. We all see that, right? But like the answer isn't ever X equals four. It's a strategic decision where there isn't clarity. There's no back of the book where you can go read the answer from the teacher's version, right? Like don't get me wrong. That's how I got through Calc 3. But, you know, and it worked then. Uh, but really, it, I think it's influence building is about understanding how somebody else is going to receive information, right? Understanding the dynamics of how human beings have been wired for the last 50,000 years to, to operate as teams, right? If you've ever painted a room by yourself and then painted a room with just one other person, it seems like it takes like a quarter of the time, not just a half of the time, because you actually have somebody there. We're, we are wired to collaborate. So um, really, uh, the influence is about understanding who you're talking to, understanding what they care about, aligning what they care about with the greater good of the organization, where the, the less than honorable people are aligning what you want with what they want, which may not be for the greater good of everybody else. But I think most engineers understand the idea of a reduction of friction increases flow, right? So, and that's what influence is about, is it's about reducing friction. It's not about fooling people. You're not going to fool smart people. They'll just stop talking to you, <laughs> right? But if you developed your ability to have influence, so people think influence, they think sales, right? And I would say that's true. Uh, but I also say influence uh, is required to lead, right? In one case, you're nominally trying to get money, right? Some kind of, you're trying to sell a product, right? You're using influence to to get a transaction closed in leadership. You're trying to get people's give a damn, right? Their emotions, how they feel about things that they show up for work. How else can you get somebody excited about doing a CRM transformation, right? Like, Oh man, I'm going to skip my kid's baseball game this weekend. Cause CRM, you know, like it, it's not really a rally call, but if you do understand motivations of people and you're able to align it and you understand what makes human beings click, you can, you can, you can do things in an honorable way Influence doesn't require being dishonorable. It's just, it's practiced by far too many dishonorable people. But I, I think like when you look at John F. Kennedy and like the moonshot speech, like if that's not influence, I don't know what is, right? We didn't have the technology to actually get there. We didn't have any idea. We didn't have a lot of successes from a missile standpoint, you know? And he, he called it out and he set a bar and he said, this is for all the chips on the table and people rallied to it. That That is, I mean, that is that's big eye influence, right? <laughs> so there's a little eye influence of like your team and the people and understanding that you're letting them know you care and that you understand where they're at. Uh, but I think it's a critical component for leadership as well as sales. So Patrick, what have you loved about being an entrepreneur? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I I tell everybody you should have crappy jobs when you're in high school because I think about all the crappy jobs we've all had. And they're like, oh, what does that mean? I'm like, it means you got to wear a hat. You don't want to hair it. Well, you know, you got to wear a hat. You don't want to wear, you got to wear a shirt that you don't want to wear and you report to somebody you think you're smarter than, right? And that's, that's frustrating. And, and I think that plays out in a lot of places. So in entrepreneurship, I, I love the fact that I'm, I'm responsible for everything, right? I love the fact that uh, I'm in control and... Um, as much as you can be in control, that sounds pretty, but I'm in control of everything I can be in control of and I'm responsible for it. So I, I really enjoy that because in the end, the learning is so much more accelerated. There's no better self-help, self-improvement program in the world than entrepreneurship. 
Because like anytime you want to turn the mirror on somebody else or you want to look through the microscope or telescope at somebody else, you're looking right at yourself because mm-hmm. you're the only one you can blame. So it's all it's it's your ideas, it's your strategies. And if you're okay with making mistakes, if you're okay with, you know, then then it's the greatest job in the world of like I, I'm I'm gonna own it. So what advice do you have for somebody who wants to branch out on their own, start their own company? Maybe they want to start start a consultancy. Uh, what yeah, do you tell do them? It. Do it. Start. Yeah. Just get going. There's no perfect way. And there's never the perfect time. I started my second company, uh, the fall of 2001. Yeah. So right there at the dot com bust. Yep. But the truth of the matter is it was a perfect time. It was a perfect time. Uh, What wasn't apparent or what might not be apparent to other people is the chaos. The table had been flipped. The cards were all on the floor. All of the structures that existed in 1999 that were going to prohibit growth were now just rent asunder, right? And now it's now there's the you can be part of restructuring the chaos, and that's where the the fertile ground is. Uh, so I, I would say, you know, don't try and time the market, don't try and time it at all. Just get started. So Patrick, I've got a couple of more questions for you, but first I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like Patrick Immons. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, Jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Patrick, I used to call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. It's now called Making Waves at Sea Level. What does your company do to shake things up in your business? How do you make waves? Oh, um, well, I think there's a couple facets. Um, how, what do we do with our clients professionally? I think, you know, we have a, you talked about trust before. So trust on a team, trust with your partners, trust with your clients, trust with everybody. You've got to create a community of trust. And I think one of the things that we really focus on with our clients is really challenging uh, what they want to do. Really, we'll have a somewhat uncomfortable conversation. I think this is what we're known for. Um, but I also think I know uh, the fact that we care differentiates us, right? The fact that we personally are invested in the solution working, that we as engineers want to get it right, you know, as opposed to, you know, a consulting firm that might just come in and go through the motions like here's our thing and that's what we do. I think we what people really love about what we do is we'll challenge. We're not checklist people. Uh, we'll put out ideas that you know, maybe they disagree with, but we know might be a good idea, right? We don't know their business. I would never make that assumption, but I really think uh, that's a great way to to go be disruptive. Uh, I think the other part of it is like, we're very community focused, right? So how we do everything uh, is about how do we add value before we try to extract value. And I think, um, you know, the term I hear all the time is, you know, the rising tide lifts most lifts all boats, uh, nobody seems to be worried about rising the tide. They just want to get in a boat. 
And I think what we're trying to do is rise the tide. So, you know, that's what attracts, you know, to Austin Technology Council, why we want to be part of that organization. Uh, it's really how we work with with uh, all of our organizations is how do we connect this? How do we turn this into a community of people that can share? And because, again, uh, the best part about technology is uh, it grows, right? Everything's it's a multiplier. So. Well, that's that's a great transition into my next question, because your company's based in Chicago. You live in Chicago and yet you've recently joined the Austin Technology Council and you're looking at expanding to, of all places, Austin, Texas. So, and I love the fact that you're committed to community and rising the tide of, of all boats, but but why Austin? When you look out in the sea of all the places you could expand to, why do you get involved in Austin? Why do you support a group like ATC? So Austin uh, is, you know, very interesting and why we strategically are focused on, um, has a lot to do with the culture, has a lot to do with, you know, how we see business being done. Um, I think it fits. Um, quick side story. I was born in Corpus Christi, Texas, actually on the Naval Air Station there. My father was a flyer um, and my my dad's side of the family is from New York. Um, I don't think uh, our Midwestern values transfers or translates to New York as well as it would, you know, Austin. And so I really think there's there's got to be a culture there. Like this is how we do things. Right. Right. We're, we're community based. We want to be good servants and stewards of, of not just business, but our communities outside of work. And I, you know, that is why we, we focused on Austin is we, we know that that's exactly how things are done there. So. So as someone who is, is just getting involved with our community here in Austin, what is it that's awesome for you and your company about the tech scene in Austin? I mean, the, obviously the growth is, is amazing, right? Like all the wonderful things that are going on. It's just, it's an exciting time in Austin. Um, you know, I have many friends there. They're really excited about their property values. You know, uh, yes. Really, yes, I don't, I don't want to say the number, but mine went up a lot in six yeah, months. Yeah. The fact that you said number, so it's a multiple, <laughs> which is awesome. Right. And so that's great. So there's, a, there's a lot of exuberance there. It's an exciting time. Um, I think the, you know, the circumstances on the ground there are, are fantastic. And, and I don't want to say like, we're just, you know, it's because of just the growth. I think, you know, we've looked at, we were looking at other places in Texas as well. Right. And so part of that was really looking through the Midwest of where do we think we would be able to provide value in a way that people would be able to receive it. Uh, but at the same point in time, the, the culture is really such a huge part. And, and I can't stress that enough when we talk about culture and our core values, like when we talk about like our clients, you know, I want our clients to be our friends. Right. Like if I'm not going to be friends with them, I don't know why we would do work with them. So if we don't have shared values, if we don't have a shared work ethic, if we don't have a shared like understanding of like an operating system of how we do business, it's not going to work long term. And then what's the point then, right? Awesome. Well, we, we appreciate your support of the Austin Technology Council, and we look forward to seeing more people from Dragon Spears here in the Austin community. So what question about entrepreneurship, about success, did I not ask you that you wish I had asked you? And what's the answer? Hmm. I think there's a lot of entrepreneurial worship worship that goes on right now where it's like, Oh, it's, it's cool. Um, it's painful, 
<laughs> right? Like it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of making mistakes. A good friend of mine, very successful uh, entrepreneur. And somebody asked him at a conference we were at, said, you know, how have you been able to start three successful businesses? And he's like, cause I started seven. <laughs> so, you know? so that's a great line and actually a very true message for people who want to go into true. business. A few episodes back, I interviewed somebody who his Ted talk, not a TEDx talk. He was on the TED stage was about how he became an entrepreneur at 66 and he is now 76 and he is out there telling everybody who will listen the statistics around the success rate of entrepreneurs over 50 versus the success rate of entrepreneurs under 50. Totally. And, and he points out that every city that has a tech community celebrates the, the 40 under 40 or the 30 under right. 30. And he said that the most impressive city, and he hasn't found it yet, would be the ones who does the seven over 70. Uh, as, as entrepreneurs, but, but he pointed out that while it was his first venture at 66 to go into entrepreneurship, he pointed out that people think it's a young man's game and that they just hit it out of the park at like, you know, 23. And he said that if you really look at the statistics, the ones who are successful will hit it out of the park, like one in like five of their starts. Ray Kroc is the quintessential entrepreneur, right? He was selling milkshakes mixers <laughs> what to like age 63 56 yeah. somewhere in that range right and then he got involved with mcdonald's yep uh, it's a great movie the founder i love it the amount of times i think that's my wife has threatened me twice about don't ever watch that movie again one was rudy and then the other one was the founder so <laughs> both, she's like both great movies about great movies, finding success yeah. against all odds that is for sure unintentional on that. I just, I guess I, I do like those kinds of movies. So, I but yeah, too. it's a, it's it, the, the pain that, but it, the thing is you'll never find another job like it. Once you, you get the risk reward and once you start building that kind of resiliency and that's really what the whole point of entrepreneurship in my mindset is like, you know, what can, can you, can you, can you get up again? Can you, right? Like do it again. Let's see if we can do it again. I, I started this company when I was 41 years old. We had a lot of success at my last company. I sold that uh, and, you know, jumped right in the next day and started a new one. My wife has told me that's it. We're done. No more. <laughs> yeah, probably not. She's probably wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's it's too so, much. So, Patrick, if somebody's listening to this episode and they're like, Patrick seems awfully cool. I have to know Patrick or I need to know more about Dragon Spears. How do people find you? Sure. I... Catch me on LinkedIn, very active on LinkedIn, like most people. So, uh, but email address is P-E-M-M-O-N-S at dragonspears.com. So shoot me an email. I love chatting about stuff, obviously. I, and if you're like kicking the tires on entrepreneurship, I love helping people. One of the most, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make in entrepreneurship is they feel like they've got to go it alone. And that is really, so the reason why you're more successful after 50 or 60 is you got your teeth kicked in quite a bit and you have the humility to ask for help. So that's really, I think there's a lack of like ego at that age, right? You're starting to get honest with yourself about what you can and can't do. And the biggest mistake is thinking that you have to do it all. That would, that's just a terrible plan. Find friends, ask for help. And we talk about it a lot on this podcast, mentors, and you don't have to be young to have a mentor. Many mentors, yep. find complimentary mentors, Absolutely. right? And really focus on the stuff you're not great at, well, right? Pat if you find the person who's going to help you with what you're great at, not 10X return on that. 
So Patrick, thank you so much for being here. And thank you to the Austin Technology Council for now a couple of years of continued partnership. Once a month, thereabouts, we, during the pandemic, we, we fell off a little bit, uh, but we try to have one show a month that is co-produced with ATC. Uh, if you're not familiar with Austin Technology Council, you can check them out at austintechnologycouncil.org. And please, if you like this podcast, go and tell a friend. Uh, sure, I want you to go to Apple or Spotify or Stitcher and leave those five-star reviews that says, awesome podcast. But more importantly, Tell somebody, because everyone I meet who listens to the show says they found the show because somebody told them this was a good show to listen to. So if you like it, tell a friend uh, and come back every Tuesday and Thursday because we're going to interview people who are making waves, who are just as cool as Patrick Emmons. I know you're thinking, how will you find anybody that cool? But we do it twice a week. Uh, we're going to be right back here wherever you get your podcast love. In the meantime, go out there, flex your own business muscles. Make sure that your career ladder is against the right wall because nothing is worse than climbing the career ladder to get to the top and say, this isn't where I want to be. And then finally, while you're out there doing all this, have some fun. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.